0: Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer, terms apply. The world is always on. But you shouldn't be. Put junk sleep to bed. At Mattress Firm's Black Friday Now sale, save up to 60% on Sealy. With Queen Mattresses starting at $279.99. Talk to a sleep expert today and unjunk your sleep.
1: Hello there, welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. This week we have gone away from the bloody gory times of Victorian Britain and we are going to flash forward probably only about 50 years, Um, but we're going to move to the other side of the world for this one, guys, and we are going to Australia in 1932. Now, this episode is a lot more fun. It's quite amusing. I think even the Australians who are on Facebook who saw this uh, pretty much had to laugh when they saw the picture, knowing what this episode is about. I'm almost certain everybody in Australia knows this story, but I'm not certain everybody across the world knows this story. And what we are talking about is 1932 like i said and we are covering the great not not just normal the great emu war now let's not get that confused with the emos it's emu the bird not not the depressed teenagers and yes you are absolutely right australia went to war with their national bird so You know, every country has their own national bird or national animal. America, you've got your eagle. Britain, I suppose we've got the pigeon. Um, I'm failing that. England's got the lion. And believe it or not, if you're Scottish, you have the unicorn. For those of you who don't know, the national animal of Scotland is the unicorn. Don't ask me why, but it is. Anyway, in Australia, you have the kangaroo and you have the emu. You also have a wide variety of animals in Australia that will kill you. Uh, I believe uh, we found out the most dangerous land animal in the UK is the cow. That really dangerous animal, the cow. Um, Australia, I mean, my God, you just need to look on anything online and you can see how everything in australia wants to kill you from snakes to crocodiles to spiders to insects uh but no they went to war with emus um and believe it or not this might sound like a bit of a joke but it's not and i'll give you a bit of context to the war against the emus now at the end of the first world war australia Uh, fought very very hard on the side of the allies in the first world war and their returning veterans were given farming land in western australia for those of you who don't know western australia is a very dry land and it's very very difficult to farm on meaning that the farmers who settled in western australia didn't really get an easy job but they were given this land by the government as sort of a thank you for serving in our war and, you know, they were, it was taken with, with a lot of pride and, and these guys had a lot of hard work to do on this land. And this is, you know, you're talking hundreds of thousands, well, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds to thousands of veterans um, given farming land in Western Australia. And like I said, they really, really had to work to get this land up to scratch to actually be able to make some money off the land. Um coming into the 1920s, the entire world saw quite a boom, as I'm sure we're all aware, we've all heard of the Roaring Twenties, where Wall Street was doing extremely well and other countries were doing really, really well with money. A lot of this had to do with the end of the First World War, but a lot of it also had to do with the fact that countries were doing really, really well prior to the First World War. It was a, quite a boom that going all the way up until 1929 for those of you who don't know the stock market crashed in america in 1929 it was known as black tuesday and it was devastating to the world economy now it was a time where australia really struggled america in retrospect probably didn't deal with the stock market crash the best way for the rest of the world. Um, but they they did deal with it in the way that they felt best at the time. However, countries like Australia rely extremely heavily on exports. Because they don't have very much there to to sell really. They rely very heavily on their import and export business. Extremely high when it comes to the farmers. So these farmers had a very, very tough time. Uh, come the nineteen uh, late 1920s, early 1930s. And socially and economically, the country was not doing very well. And this was pretty much down to the fact that America put extremely high tariffs on imports coming into America to force Americans to buy American goods to try and revamp the country, America at the time being the biggest export and importer in the entire world. So it was highly unlikely that australia was going to recover from this as quickly as as other countries did because they relied very very heavily on america Um, they also relied very heavily on their trade within the empire let's remember the british empire still existed um, and they relied very heavily on trade to the uk but again with these high tariffs being put on on british products going into america britain had to put their tariffs up as well And this was like a knock-on effect around the rest of the world. And this is why when the stock market went in 1929, it was just devastating for the whole world because it wasn't just American stock that crashed. It had a knock-on effect throughout the rest of the world. Now, I will potentially do an episode on the Wall Street crash of 1929 because it is is an extremely interesting story um and it's something that you can really go into a lot of detail on but obviously we're not going to go into too much detail so <clears throat> we'll flip back to Australia in the 1930s Australia like i said is, is struggling as a country and it doesn't have what we would call a win so you know there's nothing publicly that they can say do you know what this this was good this is good we're going to we're going to, you know, just to give a little bit of positive hope to the population. They didn't really have that. And to make matters worse, the Australian farmers who were already having a difficult time, who had already had a difficult time trying to actually grow their crops, now had to deal with a an influx of 20,000 emus across Western Australia. And this was, well, we we don't really know why... For whatever reason, uh, 1932, they decided not to migrate the way they normally did and to stay in Western Australia. This meant that the farmers' crops were being attacked constantly, every day, by vicious emus that were eating, basically, all of their grain. Now, if you already have a problem uh, as a country, financially, and your farmers are struggling to pay for anything they're struggling to keep food on the table they're struggling to export goods they're struggling to make money and all of a sudden the little crops that they are growing are now being attacked by wild animals you are left with a situation where something needs to be done now the farmers on western australia they approach the government and you would have thought that they would approach uh, possibly the financial uh, the financial guy in australian senate or, you know, possibly the guy for farming and agriculture, um, someone like that. But no, they went to Sir George Foster Pierce, who was the Senator for Western Australia and he was the cabinet member in charge of war. Believe it or not, yes, war. So they went to this man and they said, We need the army to come in and take out these emus because. We have absolutely no idea what to do. We can't get rid of them. We we don't know what to do. They're destroying our crops. They're destroying everything we own. And they need to go. It's that simple. Now, initially, this was pretty much batted back and told, no, it's not going to happen. And the farmers then turned around and said, well, how about we pay for it? We'll pay for the ammunition and we'll pay for the weapons and things like that. You send in the army, take them out. It It's not costing the government very much. And it's a win for the people because, you know, it, it seems like a, a positive thing. Um, and, you know, everyone really benefits from it because they're becoming a pest. Their, their feathers were actually used quite regularly for... Um, for caps and things like that they they used emu feathers quite regularly in australia um the people wouldn't you know you've got to remember in 1932 there wasn't very many animal rights protesters as there are now so there probably isn't going to be a huge amount of people against it because let's be honest by getting rid of these emus you're actually going to be protecting workers who and helping people put food on their table so you know the government talked about it and went Okay, we'll we'll give it a go. You yeah, we'll we'll go for it. Uh, they sent a man. Uh, they, well, they gave the the war title. They declared war uh, on the second of November, nineteen thirty-two, on the emus, and this was under the command of General G P W Meredith, General Meredith or Major General Meredith, sorry. And this man was in charge of overseeing the. Culling, I suppose, or the killings of these emus. Now, the army sent in two men and two Lewis machine guns. That was it. They thought two Lewis machine guns, ten thousand rounds, is what they they went for. That'll be enough to to go for it. You know, ten thousand rounds. You should at least be taking out. Let's be honest, ten thousand emus. Um, they shouldn't really struggle in this in this idea. So, on the second of November, the men traveled to a place uh called Campion where they sighted around fifty emus uh, Now, the birds were out of range, so they had to move in you know closer. What they did they split into groups uh I, I believe there was uh, three of them including the general and they closed in and sort of tried to box them into one one area so they could open fire. Uh, When they herded all of them in, they fired and they scattered. The emus scattered. Now, what happens is when the emus scattered, they scattered into many different areas. So it wasn't just one area, which meant that it was very hard to pick them off. Very, very hard. And emus run anything up to 40 miles an hour. So this wasn't, you know, these weren't slow creatures. Anyway, the emus dispersed and... Very, very few, I think it was maybe somewhere between 10 and 12, were actually killed on that day. The majority fled. But this was a waste of ammunition, and the whole time this was going on, Major Meredith and his army were being followed around by newspapers and camera crews that were there to record the entire event. And this didn't look very good. This really didn't look very good. So, it was like, shit, we need to, we need to make this, it needs to look better. You know, we need to do something a little bit more. Uh, two days later, on the 4th of November, uh, Meredith established an ambush near a local dam where there were more than 1,000 emus spotted. So there was a big, a big area, you know, and a lot of them. Realistically, with a machine gun, this should be, be pretty, pretty easy at least by spraying the entire area with bullets you would have thought you'd get you'd get a fair few so they set up they waited for the emus to get closer and they opened fire within less than a minute both both lewis machine guns jammed and they only managed to scare uh, to scare so they only managed to kill about 12 birds and the rest were scared away and scattered so again the emus won that round because you know there's a thousand of them, only twelve died, and again the army looked a little bit, a bit red faced. They were quite embarrassed. Um, in the next few days, they were, they they sort of scouted out the birds rather than actually make an attack and uh, the next few days they they scouted them and and had a look to try and find another big group of birds that they could actually attack because at the end of the day now this was looking really really bad for the Australian army they had to they had to have a win and they weren't getting it this did draw in a bit of a crowd as well so there were people that came to watch um you know let's be honest 1932 there probably wasn't much to shout about this was probably quite entertaining for people to watch, and it was observed that uh, one of one of the observers they, they noted that uh, each pack of emus seemed to have its own leader, uh, basically a big black bird that stood roughly six feet high and kept watch on the rest of the smaller ones um, to work out what was going on and to allow the rest of them or to give the rest of them a warning when, when something bad was about to happen. So it sort of almost looked like the emus. I mean, this happens a lot in the wild anyway. You tend to have like an alpha male, but the alpha male emu tend to look like they were the general of their own little group of emus. Um, so it was quite a, quite a funny thing to, to imagine thinking that these emus had suddenly got this intelligence that they, they had their own general on each, on each flank that was telling the emus where to run and things like that. Um, that's sort of how it looked really so the army was running out of ideas these birds moved far too fast they were far too intelligent and they seemed to know exactly what Meredith was going to do before he did it so he came up with a plan to mount a Lewis machine gun on the side of a Land Rover or an army truck and chase him down that way so they're driving through Western Australia for those of you who don't know Western Australia is not a smooth surface it 's a very rough, rugged terrain, and wouldn't have been the easiest way to try and aim a machine gun added to that on one of the occasions as this happened, there was a kamikaze emu that decided to jump in front of the truck and uh, damaged the truck so not only could they not actually shoot effectively off the gun uh, off the back of the uh, off the back of the uh, the vehicle. They also managed to damage the vehicle because a kamikaze emu decided to ram into the radiator grill. Now, on November the 8th, six days into the first engagement of the emus, they'd worked out that they'd fired 2,500 rounds. And the number of birds was uncertain how many they killed. The estimates were roughly 50 birds is what they'd killed with 2,500 rounds rounds of ammo however there were later um reports that say it was somewhere between 200 and 500 um, and those were reports provided by people who lived in the area who obviously found emus dead possibly at a later date so you've got to remember if these emus were shot some of them uh wouldn't have died instantly you know they're running at 40 miles an hour adrenaline could have taken over and they could have died two miles down the road so um you know the 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 report is somewhere between 50 and 500. There's no real figure for it. However, Major Meredith did note in his journal that his men had suffered no casualties, uh, which almost sounds like a bit of a piss take because he shouldn't be suffering any casualties against emus when you have machine guns. However, obviously, um, (laughs) this was not necessarily uh, meant as as a joke. I think he actually meant it in in a genuine term of saying look you know we've we've killed anywhere between 50 and 500 and we've not got any casualties trying to make it sound like a win even though it really wasn't later that day on november the 8th the australian government basically went no we're not, we've had enough of this there's not been enough killed um this is a bit of an embarrassment we're going to call it off and after this first attempt major meredith uh, actually said if we had a military division with the bullet carrying capability of these birds it would face any army in the world they can face machine guns with the invulnerability of tanks they're like zulus who even dum-dum bullets could not stop for those of you who don't know, a dum-dum bullet is essentially an expanding bullet that expands on impact, so it increases the amount of damage. Uh, but basically what they were saying was that these emus just they just took shot after shot after shot, and the Australian military couldn't do anything about them, basically. Now, after things stopped, they stopped for about three or four days when they withdrew, and the farmers went back to Parliament and said... This isn't, you know, this isn't good enough. You're not. In, we've got hot weather coming. Uh, there's going to be a drought. We need these emus gone. Um, you know, there was another report that said that rough. They'd killed roughly 300. This report went through to Parliament. Obviously, it now looks like a slightly better success than the 50 that was estimated in the first place. So they debated it again and acting on the the report they decided to resume military efforts against the emus on November the 12th. They started attacking on the 13th of November, 1932, and the military found a little bit of success over the next two days, where they killed roughly 40 emus in two days. So, not not great, but at least it was to start. However, the third day uh, provided was very, very Unsuccessful and failed to provide any deaths on any emus. Um, this carried on for another couple of weeks. In fact, by the second December, the soldiers were killing approximately a hundred emus per week. So they were doing a lot better. But you've got to remember these are emus against machine guns. So a hundred a week is. Let's see how good my maths is. 100 divided by seven is roughly 14.2, something like that, a day. So, not great. Not great statistics when you know, when you think how vastly outnumbered these uh, emu or uh, not outnumbered but outmatched these emus were to actual semi-automatic or automatic weapons. Now, towards the end of the war. Uh, on the 10th of December, he was, uh, Meredith and his men were recalled, and they claimed that they had killed 986 confirmed kills with 9,860 rounds. In other words, 10 rounds per kill. So, really, really not a good hit rate. You know, 10 rounds per kill. That they, they were supposed to kill 20,000 emus... They didn't even get 1,000 emus, and there were still 19,000 emus left to roam Western Australia. Now, Meredith did claim that around 2,500 birds were wounded and would have died of their injuries after the fact. However, we don't really know whether that was true or not. Um, There's no way of really proving. Um, Essentially, Australia... Went to war with emus and lost because 20,000 emus, they didn't even take out 10%, didn't even take out 5%. So, yeah, they really didn't do very well. And do you know what the farmers decided to do to, uh, to quell the emus that were attacking their crops? It wasn't force, it wasn't to get better weapons it wasn't to get more weapons or more bullets or anything like that nope they improved their fences That's it better fences meant the emus couldn't get through the fences it meant that the rabbits couldn't get through the holes in the fences that the emus had left and their crops were a lot safer so yeah Really, if they'd have just built the fences in the first place, this wouldn't have been such a fucking embarrassment for the Australian government. And I can understand now why some of the Australians who are uh, who are on Facebook and, and did watch this went, "Oh my god, I'm not looking forward to this episode," um, because it's a bit embarrassing. You know, every country's lost a war. Um, not many have lost to birds that can't fight back, but. Australia did. So, there we go. Bit of a weird one, bit of a short episode this week. Uh, There's not a huge amount of detail to go into, to be perfectly honest. Um, But yeah, that is the Australian Great Emu War of 1932, uh, which they lost. So, yeah, very interesting. So, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I would like to say thank you to a couple of you guys who sent me a message um, about the feedback from the Jack the Ripper episode, uh, my dad actually mentioned it. I haven't, I didn't really mention it in the last episode because he was on the phone uh, with me, but he did mention that um, he enjoys coming on the show. He enjoys doing what he does, and um, are people enjoying it? He says, you know, you, I get feedback quite regularly from you guys, which I love. Um, saying how much you're enjoying the show or if there's anything I can do to improve. I love that from you guys. Uh, I've got very good fans, but there's very little when my dad comes on the show. So I've said to him, Look, if I get any feedback, um, I shall let you know. And a couple of you guys have messaged saying, um, you know, you really enjoyed the, the, t- um, the Jack the Ripper episode. I had a few when the Titanic one came out um so yeah if if you are enjoying the episodes with me dad just just drop me a message or even drop him a message and just say you know you enjoyed it because um he's questioning whether he wants to come back on the show because he's not sure if people are actually enjoying him or enjoying me i said it's a bit of both i said obviously i'm better than he is but you know (laughs) <laughs> we'll see about that one, but um, he definitely wants to come back on and do a few more, so um, any any feedback would be lovely and greatly appreciated. For those of you who do like a little bit of gore, a little bit of gruesome history, uh, we have started quite a gruesome uh, true crime series on Patreon. Uh, all thanks to one of my Patreon members called Paul, who suggested this. Um, message Paul quite regularly. Um, I hope you're feeling better, buddy. I know you, you've you've not been feeling too great over the last few weeks, so I hope you're feeling better. Um, but he's come up with this. He wanted to hear a little bit about serial killers um, from the UK. Um, or not necessarily from the UK, but not from America. Um, we started with John Hague, whose nickname was the Acid Bath Murderer. It's roughly an hour and a half. It is a long episode for me, um, but there's so much detail in it, and it, to me, is one of my better episodes. So if you do want to get over to Patreon and have a listen to that, um, you go onto patreon.com forward slash thisweekinhistory, get yourselves over there, uh, you can, you can sign up for just one month. It's five dollars a month. You could probably get all of my episodes in within that month. Um, there, there are new episodes that go up regularly. Uh, we try and get at least two a month, uh, up onto Patreon. So, um, it is worth staying on there if you are on there. But, if you just want to have a listen to those, those type of episodes, get yourself on there now. Have a listen uh for five dollars uh i mean it's less than a cup of coffee and that's a monthly fee it's not something you have to pay every week and the money goes to support the show also if you do stay on there for more than a couple of months i will send you out a fridge magnet some of you guys have had them some of you guys have posted pictures if you have got them and you haven't posted a picture what the hell are you doing Get the picture on Facebook. I want to see it. I want to see that fridge magnet prior to place <laughs> on your fridge. Um, no, I'm not really that. I'm not that uh, obsessed with it. But yeah, if you do want to post a picture of it, get it up there. Let us have a look. Um, so people know what they know that it's not rubbish. They know that they are going to get something out of it, um, along with the episodes that you you do get. Now, if you are interested at all, like I said, get yourselves over there. But thank you so much for listening, guys. A nice, easy episode this week. I will get a new one out to you next week. So thank you very much for listening. And remember, we all have history, so make yours great. Bye-bye.
0: Bundling car and renter's insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbours are probably already doing it. But who? Look for the signs. Chances are they live in a home and have a car. They use money and enjoy having more of it. They probably drink lots of lemonade. Mmm, lemonade. And they've probably said something suspicious like, I'm bundling with GEICO or stop spying on me with those binoculars. If so, you may want to ask them how easy it was to bundle with GEICO. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a stuntman to do their home renovations. Just finished a new sunroom, Mr. C. The best part is I used
1: candy glass for all the windows. So you can do this and this. Doesn't hurt a bit either.
0: But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. And if you don't want to take the long way to the kitchen, the walls are breakaway too. See? <laughs> For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Bundling car and renter's insurance with GEICO is so easy, your neighbors are probably already doing it. But who? Look for the signs. Chances are they live in a home and have a car. They use money and enjoy having more of it. They probably drink lots of lemonade. Mmm, lemonade. And they've probably said something suspicious like, I'm bundling with GEICO or stop spying on me with those binoculars. If so, you may want to ask them how easy it was to bundle with GEICO. Bundling is easy with GEICO. Just ask your neighbors.